And the other side effect was I was on heat. <laughs> well, it's hormones, isn't it, that you're being pumped with? But it's just, I'm not saying that this will happen to you, but girl, I'm, I will give you a heads up. Hey, hey, I'm Michelle Owusu, and this is the Success After 30 podcast. In this series, we'll challenge society's myth of achieving all your life goals by the big 3-0. And in turn, we'll encourage you to redefine what the meaning and timeline of success actually looks like to you. In this episode, we're joined by a guest who, after years of putting her career first, decided to put herself first, take control and go through the process of freezing her eggs. Are you ready? Well, let's go. So on this week's podcast, um, we're talking about a subject that I'm super, super interested in. And I'm excited about this episode, mainly for selfish reasons, because it's something that I also want to sort of hear about. And I guess when I started this podcast, I really wanted it to be a place where we can have conversations that we're not always afforded the safe space to have. So this episode features a special guest. She's a sports anchor and also a keynote speaker. Welcome, Samantha Johnson, to the podcast. (laughs) Hi, thanks for having me, Michelle. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. Um, Yeah, I'm actually, yeah, I'm I'm pretty good. It's been a a busy weekend. Um, I've just tried to relax, be domesticated, but somehow work always kind of bleeds in a little bit because I'm waiting for some um, breaking news, basically. So um, <laughs> half of my head is, you know, doing the washing up and then half of me is uh, thinking about future questions for tomorrow. So that's, that's, a, that's an insight into my life at the moment. Uh, let's, let's delve down deeper into that. So what, as a sports anchor, what do you do? So for anyone who doesn't know who you are, how would you sort of sum up your, your role? Uh, my role is uh, jack of all trades and mastered some of them, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I, I am. Um, I'm a sports anchor, journalist, producer uh, for TRT World in Istanbul. I've been living in Istanbul for five years, and I, I'm, I suppose, doing my dream job. I've always wanted to anchor a sports show that focuses on, you know, not just sport in terms of the playing aspect, but what goes on behind the scenes politically as well. So I anchor a 30-minute show where we have live guests, we debate, we have feature stories, we have exclusive interviews. I also present the bulletins on TRT World as well. I have a lot on my plate, but I'm still enjoying it after five years. Amazing. So pre-five years, what were you doing before? Pre-five years, I was in the UK, still working in the sports industry, uh, still uh, being a sports journalist, uh, a sports anchor. I worked for uh, Arise News. I've also worked for uh, News UK when Sun had the Sun had their digital uh, show. But before that, I actually started uh, for Sky Sports News. I think I was, what, 23? And I wow. started... Yeah, <laughs> a baby. So I started more or less, let's say at the bottom, you know, just to have a great foundation of how sports broadcasting works. So I was a researcher, uh, a sub-editor, a production junior. So I was writing scripts and editing pictures as well. And that was before I became an online presenter for the channel as well. And then after that, I was on the freelance circuit. So I worked for other channels still within the sports um, arena. 
pun intended. Mm -hmm. I was very much um, a freelance person, worked for Chelsea TV as well. And yeah, that's pretty much my journey. It's just been, you know, that it's been challenging, especially being a black woman in an industry that is filled with middle-class white males. It's, you know, it was difficult, it was challenging, but I've ended up where I needed to be. When you say it was challenging, what were the sort of particular challenges? Well, first and foremost, it's very difficult to get into the sports industry unless you know somebody, unless you are the daughter or son of a famous sports person or you went to Oxbridge and Cambridge or your parents were, I don't know, a producer or editor already in the industry. So you're pretty much on that on the outside looking in. So first and foremost, it was difficult to get into the industry. I actually started in the music industry and that's how I made my, my break into sport. But looking back, for me, it was down to my confidence, but that was also rooted in that I just didn't feel like I was good enough. Mm, that imposter syndrome that people talk about. It's the imposter syndrome, but when you're surrounded by, <laughs> I don't know how else to put it, whenever you look on air and you just see posh white women on yeah. the screen, it didn't, it didn't have to be where I was working at the time. It's just across the board. You feel like, God, is this really for me? Am I, is this a space for me? Will I be invited? So that kind of ate away at me for um, quite a while. And it ate at my confidence as well, because you, you would go to different networks and all the bosses were, again, white and male. And they all had that similar, similar mindset of what or who should be on screen. Even working in media myself, that representation is just super, super important because it just tells other people what, or it shows other people what is possible. And I think people take for granted how much that showing what is possible is like means to somebody. Exactly. So it's great that you've become like a, a figure of representation for other women that might want to get into the industry too. Thank you. Um, I don't think of it like that. I don't know. I just, I'm just very... <laughs> This is when I get really bashful. I have the blinkers on sometimes and I forget how far I've come or I, I, I don't know. It's just as soon as I have a goal or a, or a target, I just think, okay, Sam, this is what you have to do. Get your head down. You, you move, you carry on, you don't stop. You might have a few days where you feel like crap, excuse my language. No, go ahead. <laughs> After that, you pick yourself up and you go again. And that's what we've, that's what we know as black women. Yeah. And it's not always the healthiest thing. Sometimes just sit back, sometimes just appreciate where you are, be kind. I wish, I wish I was so much kinder to myself on this journey, the way I would speak to myself. I wouldn't advise anybody to speak to themselves in that manner. And what was that? Was that being like self-critical? Yeah. You, you are your own harshest critic, aren't you? So if I made a mistake, it would be Sam, why did you get that wrong? Like, you're so stupid. I'm exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, it's not healthy. It really isn't. And it's only, I'd say, in the last, uh, I, was, I, was, I, I would say, actually, I'd say ever since I moved out of the UK, I started to be a lot nicer to myself and kinder to myself. And I didn't put myself under so much pressure. 
It's funny that. <laughs> what was the trigger for that move? The trigger was there was an opportunity and you've got to grab those opportunities while you can. Looking back again, maybe I was very naive, but I just saw this opportunity as a job and I thought, wow, you know what? I don't have any responsibilities. Let's do this. Let's go. Let's yeah, just move your stuff to Turkey. You've never been there before. It's fine. <laughs> I'll figure it out. But I think what's, what I had, I had support in the fact that I had a job, I had employment. So yeah, it's, it's a, a risk that I took and it's paid off massively. What have been some of your sort of um, things that you've been most proud of since you've moved? Oh, gosh. Um, it changes. I'll put you on the spot now. <laughs> yeah, no, no, because it's, it changes a lot because I, um, I, I, I've had the opportunity to work on some great stories and meet some brilliant people. I suppose first and foremost, I'm very proud of the fact that I've made my life or made a life for myself outside of the UK. So I'm very comfortable in that. I'm comfortable navigating my way around the city. I have friends. I have a good life. I'm very comfortable. I'm comfortable in that I feel safe as a mm. woman in the city and in the country. I feel safe as a black woman in the city and this country. And I feel safe as a black woman in my, my job, my role. So my bosses, they've been very good with me. They've, uh, they trust me implicitly, which is I'm like more for them. But uh, it's okay. So, you know, I, I just make sure that the bar is set very high when it comes to my work. So they, they trust me with that. That sounds amazing to have that freedom with an employer. And I guess it's testament, obviously, to the hard work and the hours and the years that you put into the industry. When you're even picking an opportunity to move into, what, what do you sort of value as, okay, I'm going to go there because it's ticking X, Y, Z boxes. What are the sort, what's the sort of criteria for you? It's all about safety. It's about respect. It's about um, protecting my peace as well. I've learned not to run myself into the ground for anything. I used to do yeah. that. <laughs> I used to Why do that. Why do you all do that? I don't know. I think because it's embedded in us that hard work pays off and, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get, which is true to a certain extent, but I'm not going to do it at the expense of my mental health. Yeah, I agree. I feel like that's been also my personal journey too. You put in all the hours and you work really hard, but then at a certain point it is more about the self-care and how can I make sure I've got that inner peace in yeah. every single area of my life, including career. And I think it's only just become more apparent in the last year. And I say that the last year, 2020 has really, <laughs> was it a year? Are we just writing that one off? But it just really, <laughs> it really made us stop and think and take into account of everything that's happened in our lives and what you want, what you want to do, what will you allow, you know, are you going to set boundaries for X, Y, and Z? It is, for me, 2020 was definitely an eye-opener, for sure. I guess that helps us move on to the next stage of the conversation. And so I was scrolling on Instagram and I saw, I follow you, not in a stalker <laughs> sort of way, but you know. <laughs> but again, it taps back into what I said earlier about, obviously I work in the media, so having those figures of representation for me. So even while, while you might not notice it, I'm following you for that reason, because I'm like, wow, she's doing amazing things. Like she's a sports anchor. Like that's so dope sort of thing. So I was following. And then I saw you post something um, where you just opened up about 
your egg freezing journey. And I thought, mm-hmm. wow, that is something that I've never been exposed to or had any sort of close friend or family member sort of talk about that, even though it's something that I'm interested in or that I've been conscious people do, but I've never really been close to anyone who's actually been so like open about going through the process. Mm-hmm. So obviously I reached out to you <laughs> and I'm so happy you agreed to sort of talk about it. But oh, of course, of course. I wanted to just initially ask you, what were your plans when it came to having a family before you've embarked on this journey? So during your career, during your 20s, did you have like a timeline for yourself or was it your career that was taking center stage and you thought maybe you'd just have them later? What was your sort of feelings when it came to children? I can tell you now that career was front, center, back, up, down, everything. It was just (laughs) my everything. It's, I suppose, boyfriends, marriage, relationships, it always hovered around. But I never gave it 100% like I did my career. I just wanted to be successful. I wanted to create a great life for myself. I wanted to do great work. I wanted to enjoy my life. And I suppose I can put that down to the fact that I was raised by amazing women in my family. It's just, I suppose if you want to, delve deeper when I look at successful uh, relationships in my family then I would definitely look towards my nan and granddad that they were solid Mm. absolutely solid and I'd look at my my dad and my stepmom in terms of you know they've got a solid marriage as well but it just was never really in front of me like having the whole family that kind of perfect picture family you know that the thing that's sold sold to all of us in images in the adverts everywhere exactly I mean I looked at it but I just didn't think it was for me again going back to the amazing women in my family they just told me that you know the sky's the limit you can do whatever you want you can travel wherever you want you can you can always come back just just grab life by the horns and go for it that's so great to have that fed into you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I don't regret a thing, FYI. It's just the career has always been number one for me. And I don't, again, I don't regret it because I'm at this point right now. Again, going back to 2020 and what's happened with all of us and it's made us stop and think, I would say in the past, I suppose I was thinking about it for a good year and a bit. So let's say the end of 2019. And that only came on my radar because I have an amazing gynecologist, Dr. Eileen Pellinchill at the American Hastanese. I have to give her a shout out. Gosh, I love, I love her because she was telling me, look, if you get to a certain age and you're still single, I think you should think about freezing your eggs. I think I was what, 35 at the time, 34, 35. I can't remember. Anyway, um, but yeah, I was of that age and she said, I think you should think about doing it. I'm like, oh, okay then. And then obviously 2020 came around and I just snapped in the best possible, best possible way. And I'm like, right, I want to do this. And I contacted my doctor, my gyno in September and we talked about it. We talked it through and then she recommended me or she referred me to a clinic in Cyprus and they got back to me straight away. And it's just very, it was just very easy. So I would say the whole process, let's just say the talking and the planning process 
started in September and I actually froze my eggs in November. Oh, wow. Hmm. That moves quite quickly. It does. <laughs> it really yeah, does. I never, I never thought it would be that quick. So um, did you have any anxieties around it during that consultation or that conversation? What were some of the questions that you sort of asked? Uh, okay, this is when I get really weird, but I didn't get any anxiety about it. Because again, once I made my mind up, it's okay, let's do this. For me, it was about the mindset. I knew I couldn't go into this half-hearted. Right. And this is just the way I am. It's if I'm going to do something, I go all in, I go hundred percent, let's do this, let's plan. So for me, it's okay, Sam, every day do some sort of workout so that you are in a good mood, you're, you're healthy, you're, you're active. So the moment you stop, that's when you can start to think, overthink things. I mean, in terms of doing research into it, I found it, everything that I found it was just, it was all kind of geared towards white women or, you know, mm. the kind of woman that buys something from Goop, you know, it, <laughs> it doesn't seem to be tailored for the rest of us or it just doesn't seem to be o- openly spoken about. So I didn't really hit the, I suppose, the anxiety button. I mean, I knew that I had to inject myself at some point. That was the only bit I was a bit... <sighs> Oh gosh, I'm not looking forward to that, but I knew it had to be done. That's the bit you hear about a lot, the injections. And mm. I guess even when they're depicting it on TV or a drama, you just see the sort of injections. Just want to take it back to your process. And I want to stress that obviously this is your personal journey and yeah, it might exactly. be different. It's, it's very different, actually. I've, I've got to say I'm very blessed and very lucky that it was smooth for me and that I only needed one round. It's, okay. Yeah. So, so when you were starting the process, what... What's the first thing that you do? You have the consultation. and the, fir- the first thing that you need to do basically is have blood tests just to see if you have any, I don't know, anything wrong. But that was all of that was fine. And I had to send it to the clinic um, in Cyprus. They will want to know about your family history as well. So I had to mm-hmm. let them know that there's a history of cancer on both sides of my family. So from that, I had to have uh, mammograms as well. Wow. You, you will have to have a lot of tests, a lot of blood tests to see if everything is fine. And they just want to rule everything out, basically, before you um, carry on with the procedure. And do they ask you about lifestyle habits? So your, like your weight or do you smoke? Do you drink? I think that's just um, part of the course with anything, really. But in this case, it is, I'm telling them about myself, my lifestyle, um, how much I weigh. I'm kind of healthy. Do I drink? God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, throughout the whole process, I didn't drink one bit. So I was very, very impressed with myself. Are you not allowed to? Or was that just a personal choice? Yeah, I don't think you're allowed. I, it's a personal choice, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise anybody to drink during it. Just don't. Yeah. Just don't. And it's just, similar with caffeine. Don't go overboard. I mean, I probably had one in the morning, but I, just, I was just so... I watched what I ate throughout, throughout, the, whole, throughout the whole process. But yeah, it's it's funny. I looked after myself a lot more when I was going through it. And I was, again, a lot kinder to my body because at some point you will bloat. You will bloat badly and you just kind of go with it. You're like, this is what my body needs to do to get the best, um, the best results. So then, so after you had that initial conversation, they told you to get all your blood tests and your work and they came back saying, okay, you're, you're approved, you're good. Um, what happened after that? So they sent me a list of the drugs that I will need. 
and it's funny when I looked at the list of the drugs, the um, the gynecologist gave me a prescription for something else because I think I didn't need so many drugs, if that makes sense. So when I was listening to another podcast called Freezing Time, she, the woman that was um, hosting um, that podcast, she actually had um, like a nasal spray that she used before the injections. And I thought I would have to have that, but I didn't. It was literally, I just went through the whole um, injection phase because everything was fine and healthy. But again, what we said before, it's all tailored. It's all, yep. this was, this was just for me. So my doctor, she was doing um, sonograms on my uterus. FYI, she says, my uterus is perfect. I'm like, wow, humble brag. I can walk out of here like, wow. <laughs> you can put that on a badge. Perfect uterus, you know, that is like, whoa. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just had to like make everything kind of a, a, a joke or a laughing. But she was impressed with how many eggs I was producing anyway. I had a good amount anyway to begin with. And I think it was something around, I think I had 12 in the beginning. What did they say is like recommended number? I don't want to say that, to be honest with you. I was, again, I'm just very lucky and blessed that I got the number that I got at the end of it. I just, I don't want to number shame anything or anybody. And look, at the end of the day, all you need is one egg to have a successful pregnancy. Mm. That's it. I could have 22, but most of them could be, I don't know, it might not work. And that's the risk at the end of it. But the more you have, I suppose, it's the better your chances. It's, it's odds, isn't it? Yeah, it's odds, but all you need is one. So if you have 10 or 7 or 12 or whatever, all you need is one. Yeah, I would always say that, actually. Don't put too much pressure on yourself or whatever number you have. It's like, oh, gosh, it's too low. Or don't let that um, rule you. You've done the health checks. You've had the conversations. You've now started to take the injections. How many injections did you have to take? What's that injection sort of period, if you can remember? <laughs> I can remember. Oh, God, I can remember. Yeah. <laughs> you remember every single one. <laughs> so funny story about that was um, when, it, when I say funny, it's like eh, quite surreal. So I was at work and I was presenting the bulletin. So knowing that on that particular day or straight after my bulletin, I had to inject myself. I did my bulletin. My bulletin's about, what, eight minutes long. After that, still kind of fully made up in my, you know, my outfit, my presenting outfit. I went downstairs into the, the dressing rooms and I'm, <laughs> I'm getting the drugs, the, I suppose the solution, and I'm, I'm about to inject myself. But I just thought, I can't do this. I can't do this. So I got my friend, uh, Liz, He's another presenter as well. She did it for me. She said, oh, yeah, I've injected my arm before. And I'm like, okay, let's do this. So she did it. <laughs> it was just really weird, both of us in the in the, the dressing room, and she's injecting me. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's just, it's stung. If anything, it didn't hurt. It, it just, it was just stinging. And then there was a moment, a, si- a, a bit of silence afterwards. And I looked at her and she looked at me and we just, we were just in fits of laughter because we just thought, what is this like? How did we get here? Like, I've, I've got to inject straight after my bulletin. And that's what it is. It's, <laughs> it's, very, it's very, okay, you have to inject between these times, between four and six or something like that. Like, that's your window. You have to get it done. It's very specific. Whatever was going on in my life, it's like, okay. You yep. just have to make it happen. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. From what I can remember, it's, I had the injection... Between four and six o'clock a day. And then after a certain amount of time or a certain amount of days, you have to have a second lot of um, injections and that's to hold the eggs so you don't release them. 
if that makes sense. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Oh God, it's brought it all back now. So, <laughs> so bear in mind, this was uh, so this was November, and I was like proper in the thick of it in terms of my injections. I was also hosting the uh, Turkish Grand Prix. Wow! So I was doing all of that, and it was great. I was running on adrenaline. We had a successful day, and then it was a case of okay, guys, I need to get back really soon because I've got to inject myself and they were like oh okay cool so we had to go back afterwards so you were quite open with the people around you like your colleagues yeah 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 yeah. definitely my I've got a great team I've got and they're all guys as well they're all guys so I told them I was honest with them I said look if I seem erratic or if my mood swings are off or whatever this is why told my boss quite early on and he said look whatever you need just let me know if you need time off and it just turned out that I needed um probably, I don't know, a few hours in the morning to go to the hospital or I needed to leave a little bit earlier to go to the hospital to get a sonogram or to get more tests. Yeah, no, everyone was just really supportive. That's great. Not one person who I told was judgmental or, you know, weren't supportive. Everybody was just great. Oh, that's brilliant. Mm. So when you were taking your injections, like daily, so in total, how many days did you have to take? Ten injections for ten, 10 days. days. Yeah, how did that all feel? The injections you'll get, you'll get past it. It's what was difficult is finding a fresh place to inject because you have to do it in a similar place. So if you put your four fingers together from and mm-hmm. place them up at the edge of your belly button. Okay, okay. I'm literally I'm literally doing this right now. <laughs> so you have to inject um, just outside your smaller finger, your pinky finger. So that's okay. All right. Yeah, I can feel the area. There's a, there's a lot of flesh there on mine. Okay. Listen, I, I am so happy for my, um, my let's say, podgy bits. <laughs> so much. I'm like, yay, I'm so happy for that. So, yeah, but after a while, it just became really sore. And I think that's when I, I almost broke. And I think I cried. I cried twice throughout the whole process. There was a point where I was just done. And I think it was after a week of injections and I was done with prodding myself. And then going to the hospital to get another sonogram because every time I went, I had to pay for it, you know, and it, it all adds up. So I just felt like a, a cash machine just every time I went, okay, here, take my money. And I was just emotionally done at that point. Like I just want this over and done with. I think that was probably, yeah, after six days of getting getting my injections done. It wasn't just the fact that I had to go through all of that. It was the case of I have to have a COVID test as well because I had to fly to Cyprus. <sighs> if I came back with a positive test, I can't fly anywhere. Yeah. And I can't get and I can't get my eggs frozen in Turkey because one, my egg reserve was pretty good. And if I needed my eggs released, then I needed to be married. Oh, so that's like a, a stipulation in that territory specifically. Yeah. So I'm like, you don't know my dating life is it is <laughs> That is another podcast for another time, but it is hard. So those were the, you know, the other two um, the factors. But again, when I was doing research, it's kind of similar in the UK. So if you want to freeze your eggs, I think on the NHS, then they prioritize, and quite rightly so, cancer patients and anybody who's struggling and if they're married. But if you want to get it done as a, um, a single woman or career woman, then you might have to do it privately or you will have to do it privately. Yeah, which then comes with costs, which I guess, yeah, are prohibitive for some people. It's a lot. I mean, all in all, 
it all came to like, oh gosh, 5,424 euros. That includes the medication, the um, sonograms, the mammograms, flights, the, you know, freezing the eggs, everything. So I look back at it and I think, you know what? It was worth it. Yes. But I just know it's going, <laughs> I know it's expensive elsewhere. So when I looked at the States, uh, again, do my research, it's like 10 grand and 10 grand plus. Oh my word. I know. I know. I know you said your work colleagues, but who else was your sort of support system at that time? But my support network were my girlfriends in the UK. So, <clears throat> sorry, I, I'm not getting emotional. I just have a bit of a cough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I want tears, Samantha. I want tears. <laughs> I'm not going to ball on this. I'm not. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was in a challenge with a lot of my girlfriends, a cycle challenge. Whoever rode the, the most miles in a month wins the challenge. I was on that bike every morning and... The reason why I was on it every morning is, one, I want to win. I'm competitive. <laughs> Good. Two, it, I just had to get my head in the game. I had to be mentally strong for this. But that's when they came in. And again, I could talk to them about everything. And it's you need your girlfriends. You really do. Yeah. Through everything. Yeah, through everything. And I know that they're not in the same country as me. But I know that I could just send them a WhatsApp and they'll get back to me. Soon it's like the Batman sink. It is. It is. Alert and they come running. It really is. It's, I, I, I'm so grateful for them. Yeah, I won the challenge as well. <laughs> That's the main thing. I won. Um, I will say working out every day or every morning helped me a lot. And having a positive mm. mindset because I was on my own. I was physically on my own. I didn't have anyone to hold my hand. This might be difficult for my mom to listen to. But again, my mom was super, super supportive. And so was my dad. In fact, I said to them, or I asked them for a bit of support in terms of financials. And I said, look, I don't want anything for Christmas or my birthday, but can you help with the financing um, your grandkids, basically? <laughs> oh, look at the emotional sort of twist and angle you went for. <laughs> listen, listen, you've got to do something, yeah? <laughs> Very smart, Samantha. <laughs> they did help. They helped a lot. So, but, you know, to be fair, I could afford it by myself. I knew it was going to be a lot. So I, yeah, they, they helped out a lot and they helped me emotionally as well. There was no judgment from them as well. You know, families, as black families, Caribbean families, there may be, I don't know, some kind of stigma in terms of actually having the conversation about it. But no, they were just great listeners and I had great support from them in every way. Oh, that's so lovely. Mm-hmm. That's so lovely. And you mentioned some of the side effects. I was normal, so to speak. The only side effects were that I was super bloated and the other side effect was I was on heat. <laughs> well, it's hormones, isn't it, that you're being pumped with? Exactly, but it's just, I'm not saying that this will happen to you, but girl, I'm, I will give you a heads up. I was just super horny and everything, when I say everything gets bloated and swells up. So you felt like you had like a boob job. What? Well, that, but it was just everything that was going on below. Like everything was <laughs> super sensitive, like, oh my God. Like, uh-oh, should I be feeling this sensation right now? Shouldn't be. It's like, damn, should I go on that bike ride this morning? Maybe I should, I don't know. <laughs> That's what the challenge was all about, wasn't it? That's like, yes, come on. Like I said, dating is hard out here, boy. You got to get them while you can. So, <laughs> yeah, it was, I think I, that was definitely 
uh, I say a side effect. I was, I was definitely, definitely on heat. Those were the only two side effects that I, I noticed. Okay. And then when it came to the end of the injection process, yes. what comes next? Is that retrieval? Retrieval. So this was all very kind of James Bond-esque because I had to go, I had to go to the airport, obviously, but during that process, I had to have the trigger injections. Now, the clinic told me to have the trigger injections at, at a specific time. In, in fact, it had to be 12 hours before egg retrieval. So my flight was at, I think, one or two o'clock in the morning. I got to the airport super, super early. So my operation in Cyprus was at 11 o'clock in the morning. So that meant I had to have my trigger injections 11 o'clock at night. So at 11 o'clock, dead on, or sorry, 11.30, 11.30, dead on, I, had, I was in the toilets, the um, airport toilets, super, super clean, FYI, super clean. And I had to have my trigger injections. And it was, that was a bit of a, wow, this is happening moment. It wasn't glam. It wasn't, you know, a fairy tale or, you know, it just felt very robotic in a way. And I think that's the whole process mm. as well. It's quite robotic. The coordinator, Harriet, she was amazing. She was absolutely amazing. And she was by my side from the very first moment we sent an email. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's only so much you can do, you know, not being in the country. So she was, again, very supportive, checking in on me. And I, I have to stress this because there's a lot of stories out there at, at the moment about um, health tourism. Mm. And in particular, getting surgeries done in Turkey, Cyprus, whatever. If you do go abroad to get anything done, make sure that your coordinator is actually there with you at the hospital. Make sure that you are in contact with them daily and make sure that they are reputable. My, my, my coordinator, her name is Harriet. She's English herself. She just happens to uh, live in Cyprus because her parents live in Cyprus as well. They were so reputable. In, in fact, I, I was recommended by my gynecologist and I trust my gyno with my life, obviously. There you go. Because if something goes wrong, and I hope no one experiences anything going wrong in terms of surgery, then it's kind of difficult because you're abroad, you know? It's tricky. So ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was very lucky. Very, I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed. So when you say surgery, you have to go under to retrieve yes, them. Yes, I went under general anesthetic. How long does that take, that procedure? It took half an hour, less than half an hour. Okay, wow. Very quick, considering what you go through for the whole month. With the anticlimax. Oh, okay, we're here now. The last most important bit of them actually getting them. It's like, oh yeah, yeah half an hour, cool. In out. Again, that was a, a frightening moment for me because that was when I felt like I was on my own. Went to the clinic. And they told me what was going to happen and they dressed me. I was in the normal cloak or clinic or was it the cloak? Yeah, the cloak. Put you in a, under general anesthesia. Uh, we're actually going to strap your arms as well and strap your legs. And I'm like, what? Wow. Kind of like S&M, but without the fun. <laughs> so the whole pro uh, procedure takes about 20 to 30 minutes. So it's very, very quick. So I remember having everything strapped down, my legs and arms strapped down. Um, I think this is just in case I had 
I don't know, when I was under the anesthesia, I could have flinched or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, they have to be so precise. So I guess any movement, as you sort of said, might, you know, exactly that. get in the way. They injected me and I remember looking up. I was on the theatre table and, you know, you see the lights. And that was the moment I was actually really, really scared because I did feel like I was on my own. Mm. And then I just called out for my nan. I said, look after me, mm. my ancestors. Watch over me, God, watch over me. Everything went to black. And then I woke up in bed, in the recovery bed. But yeah, I felt a bit dizzy, a bit uh, drowsy, a bit uh, groggy. But I felt happy. I remember feeling so happy because I just, I took control of an aspect of my life. I, you know, I, I'm very aware of my age. I think I'm healthy. No, I am healthy. I'm in good shape and everything. But you just don't know what's going to happen in the next few years. I don't know if I'm going to meet anybody or, you know, I, I would love to. I, I And this is another thing as well. I can finally admit to myself that, yes, I do want a family. Yes, I do want a husband. Right. I want that. Whereas before, I just pushed it to the side because I didn't think it was possible or I didn't deserve it or... I just didn't think it was for me. But now I'm very much, no, I want that. I really do. And now you've taken steps to mitigate like the potential of that not being able to happen. It's just a very intense process, but I'm so glad I did it. So so what happens now? So they're retrieved and they're stored? Yep, they're stored uh, in Cyprus. Uh, Luckily, wherever I go in the world next, wherever, if I want to settle down anywhere, then my ex can come with me, but I need a passport. And I suppose it's just the waiting game. You know, I, I could get married, uh, get married, I could get pregnant, I suppose, naturally. We just don't know. That's mm. For me, very much an insurance. But no, I think the, the way forward for me personally now is just talking about it more because I was so surprised at the amount of messages I got afterwards saying, I'm thinking about doing the same thing, but I'm not too sure. Or again, it's just not spoken about openly, I suppose, within our community, within uh, maybe in the UK. I don't know. A lot of my my girlfriends are the same age or similar age as me, and we're all career women. We're all doing really well. And we're just like, well, yeah, is this is this something we can do? And I'm like, yeah, it is. It's an option. And I'm really kind of peeved off that it's not discussed more and that women don't know about it because this is an option. Exactly. And again, just talking to another girlfriend of mine, she had fibroids and she Mm. was um, operated on a few years ago and she's going through uh, a similar process now of egg freezing, but she has a lower number than myself and she's hard on herself because she doesn't have that many eggs. And I told her again, it doesn't matter about the amount, it's about the quality. And at the end of the day, all you need is one, seriously. And just to go into the whole process with a positive frame of mind, because you're going to need it. You're going to have to be positive about it. But I was mad at the fact that the doctors or nurses or gynos, when they were checking on her for her fibroids, they didn't tell her that I think you should think about freezing your eggs. Yeah, you had the had your gynecologist present that option to you. Exactly. I mean, it varies for everyone, but I've not had anyone 
Mm-hmm. I'm 35 mm-hmm. and I've not had anyone ever. And maybe a couple of years ago, I had like fibroid issues and not once has that ever been presented as a suggestion. They do say, well, if you were thinking of having kids, like I think you should hurry up and get married. Oh, but that oh was the God. advice I was given. No, 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 no. It's, oh, Lord. No, it's, this is an option. Let's get this out there. And I want gynecologists to, maybe we have to bring it up to them. But to be fair, they should be bringing it up with us. Not the case of, yeah. oh, yeah, I think you should start about, think about getting married. Like, have you tried dating these streets? Thank you. I'm like, do you think I'm just sitting here, just like, what, twiddling my thumb? Have you been on Bumble? Have you seen? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's frustrating. Yeah. This is why I'm so grateful for my doctor and I'm glad she's in my life. But I think the options are, yes, you can get it done in the UK, uh, but definitely look abroad as well. It took me about a year and a bit to talk to certain people and to do research. And again, it's talking to women that are older than me who are career women as well. And they said, you know, I wish I'd done it when I was younger, but because of my career, I didn't do it. Or because I was waiting for the guy to, for, I don't know, whatever, to make a commitment, it didn't happen. And I'm like, I can't allow that. I don't want to be in a situation where I'm saying, I wish I did this, couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. And I like what you said when you said it's like you were taking control back because I think a lot of, you know, the conversations around starting a family or, you know, it's just the steps that we have to go through it is really relying on someone else. It is. I think for yourself or for anybody else that's listening, that is thinking about it, start doing your research now. Mm. I'm so pleased that you had such a, like a, a, like a pleasant experience through that because it is... It is a big, big sort of thing that happens to your body. Yeah, it is. And I, I respect my body a lot more for what she did and what she produced. And it's, yeah, it was, it's amazing just seeing the whole process. And, you know, whenever you're, you know, you're looking at the sonogram and you're seeing what's going on inside of you, you're like, wow, that's what's going mm. on. You know, you do take a moment to take stock of everything. That you, it's, it's, it's quite beautiful. It is. Or that question of can women have it all? <laughs> I know. What is a question you hate? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Where do you stand on that? It's a, it's a debate that happens all the time. Uh, can women have it all? It all depends on what having it all means to you and how you define it. Yeah. It's like it could, having it all could be, you know what? It's having a career and a roof over my head. It's having my health and having a roof over my head. It just depends on the individual. It's, I think it's surpassed, you know, love, career and kids. Mm. We're far more than just that. I love that. I do have a dilemma from someone. Obviously, I know you're not super an expert in the area, but I just wanted to, you know, in spirit of sharing and everyone sharing their stories and us learning from each other, I have a dilemma from someone. So I'll read it out and see what you think. I'm 36 and have been considering egg freezing. I'm torn though, because I've always leaned on being faithful and the belief that what is meant to be will be. It sounds like an expensive process. And I just wonder if it will all just, if it will just bring me even more anxiety and stress. How did you weigh up the potential stress it would give you knowing that a successful outcome also wasn't guaranteed? I didn't go into this process thinking that it was going to be a failure. I knew the risks. I know that anything is possible, but I couldn't allow myself to go into it thinking 
you know what, it might not happen. So it's going to be a waste of money. So no, what I didn't want to happen is that I get older and I regret, I, I regretted not doing it. That was the, that, that was the bigger thing for me. I wanted to do something for me. Everything that I've done in my life for the majority of my life has been for my career. And I needed to do something for me and my future. Mm. And I see my future having children. I see myself having a husband and having a great life, a beautiful, meaningful life, and still having a great career as well. I would say, get it done. I know, I know we can always say, yeah, what's meant to be will be, but you just don't want to go through life with regrets. I, I know faith comes into a lot on this occasion, get it done for yourself. As black women, we need to look after ourselves mentally, physically, spiritually. We have to be there for each other because it's hard. It's hard out there. It doesn't feel like there are others coming through for us. So we have to do it for ourselves. And you know what, to be fair, not just black women. I think it's hard for women, period. However, when you look at the stats with black women and, and childbirth that we're what, four or five times more likely to die. Or when it came to COVID, it was, it was just, it was so many stats were just flying around my head when it came to us as black women and surviving. And we have to look after ourselves. We do. We need to get the information out there. We need to get the word out there. We need to have open and honest conversations. We'll keep it going because it's already started. 2020 has been huge for that. Huge. Huge. Because we've been through so much. And a lot of trauma has come to the surface and we're dealing with that. We're healing from that. Everyone taking stock of what's important mm. and reflecting. And I think that's allowed for those conversations to open up. And as you sort of said, long may they continue. Indeed. Indeed. If you could shout out, and it might not be related to this experience, but yeah. if there's anyone that you think is a symbol of really redefining what success is or that you feel is really successful after their 30s or anyone that you just feel like has helped you in your career or your journey personally? Uh, there's too many. Whenever I ask this question, everyone's like, oh, how long can I mention five people? I'm like, okay. I, I know so many women in their 30s and I think 30s are, they're brilliant. I'm not going to lie. I'm so glad I'm out of my 20s. Oh, that was the ghetto. The streets, <laughs> like that is one of <laughs> It's 30s feel so legit and you just get more confident with each year passing. Oh, I've yeah. just passed my 37th birthday. So amazing. Like, yeah, last week was it last week? Yeah, last week I was 37 and it felt good. Oh, happy belated birthday. <laughs> Thank you. But no, it just felt so good. But there's so many women that have just come into their 30s or still in their 30s and they are killing it. And their mums and their they're the business owners. So first and foremost, shout out to Karina White. She's a mum. She's, um, she's a podcaster. She, she deals with agency. She's just so on it. The energy that she has to be a mom, to be a career woman, and to be, I suppose, a spokesperson as well. She's big in the community. My, I, I tip my hat off to her. Um, Jeanette Quache, another close friend of mine, again, a mother, broadcaster, wife, does it all. She's brilliant. Um, Anita Jones, another broadcaster. She's just recently turned 30 and she's got a bright future ahead of her. Ebony Rainford Brent, 
in her 30s as well, doing amazing things for crickets and the Afro-Caribbean community. Now, these women are very much a part of my circle. And these are the women that I've leaned on for support. Amazing. And, you know, they gas me up. They're like, you know, again, they're not in the same country as me, but, you know, they'll send me a nice little message of support. And, you know, just thinking of them makes me smile. Another friend of mine, Sandra Gatman, she's in Doha. She's an amazing journalist, but she's she's just got an amazing sharp mind and she's beautiful and she's vivacious. She's just brilliant. But I've got brilliant women in my life and I feel so Mm. blessed. So blessed. Oh, that's amazing. And I I love that. You can just reel them off. And I love that because the whole reason for starting this podcast is to sort of give that narrative that, you know, there are so many women that are over the age of 30 and even for younger people who are coming up and are doing amazing things just for them to know that, you know, your life doesn't end. Who said that life ended (laughs) at 30 or things go to, who said that? The lies, you know, Candy, Real Housewives, the lies, the lies. But I see it whenever I'm on social media and when Forbes 30 under 30 list comes out, the reaction on social media of young people just be like, oh my gosh, I've only got two more years. I need to do this, 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 that. And even like 21 year olds, they suddenly want to feel like, oh. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I'm a failure. And I'm like, what? I, I remember the, those twenties because I would say, if I don't get to where I am by the age of 23, I'm a failure. I remember those oh days. My. I remember those days. I look back, I'm like, girl, you know, nothing. How I was back at 22, 23, no life experience, uh-uh, uh-uh. doing absolute madness in these streets. <laughs> That's what they're there for. You'd make mistakes, you'd try and find yourself, but 30s are so sweet. And if the 30s yeah. are sweet, then imagine what 40s are like. There we go. You know, I'm looking forward to the aging process in terms of hitting 40. I actually don't mind it, uh, mainly because my skincare regime is on point. So <laughs> I, can, I can attest to that. This is why I follow you on Instagram. <laughs> Trust me, I spent enough money on it. But no, <laughs> I'm actually looking forward to the next few years. And I can see, I can see a little one. I can see a mini me, like a little Sam, you know, just I'm looking forward to it. But 30s, oh, where it's at right now. Amen. Amen. Amen to that. Amen. <laughs> so looking forward, are you planning to talk more about your journey, especially when it comes to egg freezing? Because I, I saw that you set up like an Instagram page or is that something more personal? It was created out of, not frustration. Frustration isn't the right word. Maybe out of curiosity because I've been working in my masculine for so many years. I'm surrounded by males all the time. So I've had to create this guard up for myself and this persona that, you know, I can do it all. I can, you know, go up against the best of the guys, yada, yada, yada. And I have done it and I'm successful at it, but I forgot about the soft side to me. And I didn't know who that softer Samantha was. So on my other page, it's mainly for women. So if you are a woman and you you want to follow me, then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let you in, but it's just something softer, sensual, sexual even. It's sharing positive affirmations. It's more spiritual. Something that I don't think I can share on my main page because my main page is mainly about my career. And let's be honest, there are some men out there that will just take it as something that's 
super, super sexual and just for the male gaze. And I'm not comfortable with that. I want something that's for us and beautiful and intimate. So that's what I created. And I don't know what's going to happen with it, but I'm enjoying it so far. And that's good. And again, it's the idea of creating those safe spaces where we can just be. It's literally that. I just want to be. And again, all of this happened in 2020. It's reconnecting with myself. I went to Jamaica last year. You know, I I haven't been Mm. back to the island in almost 20 years because I didn't have the best experience the last time I went. But with both my grandparents on my mum's side um, passing away, I felt like I was, oh, sorry. you know, nah, like they're in there. They're still with me spiritually. I, I really do believe that. But with both of them gone, they were my main caregivers. You know, that's where I got my care and my love and attention. It was from them. But when they were around, I always felt like Jamaica was them. But with both of them gone, it was, oh, gosh, my identity. Who am I? What am I? You know, if you, whenever I walk around Istanbul or if I get into a taxi, I get asked, um, Nerelisin, which is where are you from? And I say, oh, Inglaterra, English. And they look at me to say, no, you're not English, mate. (laughs) Where are you from, from? And that's when I said, oh, you know, Jamaica. And every time I said it, I would, I felt like a fraud because I didn't have, I didn't feel like I had the right to say that I'm Jamaican British because I wasn't Mm. really connected. But when I went back last year, it was all in my head. I just felt like I was home. It's in your blood. It was so spiritual. And I have to shout out Jessica Huey and the Purpose Retreat because they got me back to center and she put me back together. It was such a beautiful moment. And I just fell in love with the island all over again. And it just felt right. And then you created your own personal connection I know you said you had your grandparents as that anchor but I guess you were able to place your own personal anchor yeah exactly thank you so much for speaking with me today that was so insightful um and it's encouraged me to go and do my research (laughs) take control and find out more take control yeah Yeah. I'm, I'm pleased that you said you took a while to sort of do your research and I think everyone should take that on board on you know you can listen to people's stories but also do your own sort of personal mm-hmm. research and find out what's the best route and option for you. But as long as you do your research and yeah, know that there are options. There are options for us girls, seriously. Sometimes the information isn't given to us. We've got to go get it. There we go. There we go. Where can people find you, Samantha, if they want to follow you and follow your skincare routine? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm more active on, uh, on Instagram at uh, Miss underscore Sam Johnson. Uh, you can find me there. So if you have any questions, I, I'll be more than happy to to answer them. Brilliant. Thank you. No, thank you. Thanks for listening. For more inspo and to carry on the conversation, follow us on Instagram at successafter30podcast. And don't forget to use that as a hashtag too. Until the next time. Bye. <laughs>